Today's reading is Galatians chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But scriptures locked up everything under the control of sin, so that what was promised, being given through the faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. This is the word of God. Be to God. Thank you, Kevin. Good morning, guys. Thank you for braving the snow today, uh, especially knowing that it was the youth minister preaching today. Man, great is your reward in heaven. Uh, no, seriously, we are very excited to continue our series in Galatians 3 and 4. Oh, dear idiots. Uh, I am very excited about this. Before we start, I got to clarify something because I feel like I stole a bit of glory earlier today. So we had several men uh, in our church, different leaders and board members, uh, and then Paul Martin as well, out early this morning, like shoveling snow and, and like shoveling off snow off of the parking lot lines and everything. Uh, and then I went out there for like two minutes while everyone was coming in. And so I got so many pats on the back saying, oh man, what a servant. And you know, at the time I wanted to be like, oh, I know, yeah, but I'm not the real hero today, guys. So Paul, all those other guys, if you see one of them and you know they helped out, be sure to thank them uh, for doing that. Uh, You know, sometimes it just seems like we cannot do anything right. Have you ever been in a situation like that? There is nothing that you can say that is the right answer. There's nothing you can do that is the correct solution. Sometimes you're just kind of stuck. I had one of these moments a few years ago. Uh, I was going to school at Ozark Christian over in uh, Joplin. And at Ozark, on Thursday mornings, we have this thing called life groups. Okay, life groups were where you got together with a group of your peers, and it was led by um, a staff or faculty member uh, from Ozark, and you just go, you know, do life together. You know, have fun, encourage each other, eat donuts or drink coffee or whatever. Uh, my first couple of years at Ozark, uh, I was in our basketball coach's life group, uh, Chris Lamb. And Coach Lamb, uh, I found out, had a little initiation he did to people in his life group. Uh, so it was, it was me. My first year at Ozark, it was me and then, like, all the basketball team in that group, which was just kind of like, did they, like, put me in there because I'm tall or something? I don't know. So I was already nervous because I didn't know any of those other guys, but they all knew each other. And then I didn't know Coach Lamb either, but he knew all of his players. So I just felt like the odd man out. Uh, so we meet up, and he says, hey, let's all hop in my minivan. We'll go get some donuts. He said, Ian, I want you to ride shotgun with me. I want to talk to you. And I said, okay, cool. He wants to, you know. Get to know me a little better. I'm the only one he doesn't really know. That's cool. So I hop in the passenger seat up front with him, and as he's driving, he says, Ian, I've, I've got a question for you. I said, okay, sure. He said, uh, do, do you know my wife? And I said, yeah, Dawn. She, she works in the admissions building. She's really sweet. I, I love Dawn. He says, okay, let me ask you this. Do you think my wife is hot? Yeah. Uh, and I, I immediately, in an effort to be polite and just out of scared reflex, like being a deer in the headlights, I just said, oh, of course not, no. And he looked at me and he said, oh, so you think my wife's goofy looking? And I was like, okay, that didn't go well. And I, I said, oh, uh, actually, I mean, yes, absolutely she is. And he said, oh, so now you're looking at my wife, huh? And all of a sudden, everybody in the back seats just started laughing, cracking up. And Coach Lamb, you know, pretending to be angry, a smile breaks on his face. He says, man, I'm just messing with you. Everybody had a fun time. Kind of me too. I don't know. I was really embarrassed. But then what's great about that is then when other people joined our group in the future, I got to kind of be in the back laughing too and everything and watch them stutter and get their faces all red. 
So that was, it was just brilliant by Coach Lamb because there's not a right answer there. He's got you trapped, you know. There's nothing you can say that will work. Have you ever had a moment like that? There's nothing I can say or do. I'm just kind of cooked. Uh, that is what we sometimes do with the law in a scriptural sense, in a biblical sense. We take the law, uh, and it's something that we, we almost villainize a little bit. We have a very veg- negative view of the law sometimes. We think it's almost like this evil, bad thing, okay? Uh, you know, Christians, when they're, when they're criticized for being, like, legalistic or judgmental, a lot of times, like, Leviticus works its way in the conversation, and, oh, yeah, well, if you believe this part of the Bible, then why don't you obey these laws in this book, you know? You just don't measure up. We see the law as a constant reminder that we're not good enough. And we take that in a negative way. Uh, Galatians chapter 3 is, is uh, so much about uh, what our relationship with the law should be like. Uh, Paul writes at the beginning, Oh foolish Galatians, oh dear idiots, what has bewitched you? Because they are believing something about the law that they shouldn't. Um, it's not an evil thing. You know, the law, in fact, is something God created for his chosen people. And if we think that the law is a bad thing, we come to a dilemma in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, In Matthew 5, verse 17, Jesus himself says this, Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I didn't come to abolish them. I came to fulfill them. So what do we do with that? I'm going to be reading uh, verses 10 through 22 in Galatians 3. Uh, So if you want to turn there in your Bibles, right now I'm going to read 10 through 14. Uh, It says this, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it's evident that no one's justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Now, this this is stuff, you know, and it's kind of put, you know, with some Christianese words and everything, but it's it's basic stuff for us. You know, as followers of Jesus, these are just kind of the building blocks of our faith. That, yes, we, we have transgressions because, you know, we've broken the law in so many ways, so we need saving, so Jesus came and he became the curse for us and saved us. There's a lot of different ways to phrase that, but that is essentially the gospel, right? That's some pretty basic stuff. Uh, For the Galatians that Paul's writing to, this is like a whole new concept. He's flipping what they believe upside down. The whole purpose of the book of Galatians, Paul writes this letter to the churches in Galatia because of false teachings that were going on. So I just kind of want to, in a really simple way, break down what was being taught and how Paul uh, counteracted that. So if you can go to the next slide, please. Here's, here's what the teachers were teaching. They were saying this, faith plus obedience equals salvation, okay? That's, that's pretty simple. So basically what they're trying to teach is this. If you, if you have faith in Jesus uh, and you, you check off every box, that's how you, you, you earn your salvation that way, okay? And honestly, without realizing it, a lot of times that's kind of what we think too. We can't help but think, Am I measuring up enough to satisfy God? So here's what Paul preaches, though. He says, no, you've got it wrong. We need to flip this around. Faith plus salvation equals obedience. So what Paul's saying is, you don't try your hardest to measure up and earn salvation. You have been given salvation, so therefore, you try your best to live for Jesus. Okay? It's not about measuring up. It's realizing that you don't. 
Jesus has saved you anyways, therefore live for him. Live like he would. Okay, now I think it's really important for us as a church, as a body of believers to understand this. These two little math problems I have up here, they're not just slight variations of the same thing. I really believe these two things we see up here are completely different religions. And we have to treat them this way. You know, if, if we're living our lives saying, okay, did I do enough things uh, to, to earn my salvation? We're not really following the true Christianity. It's all about putting it on ourselves and what can we do to save ourselves. And of course, we know that because of the gospel, that's not the way it works. So Paul preaches, no, it is because you believe and because you are saved that you are called to obey. Um, the next passage, I'm in, I'm in verse 15 now, if you want to follow along with me, says this. To give a human example, brothers, even a man-made covenant, uh, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. And, and that is true. In Greek tradition, uh, a contract that was ratified, or in other words, a contract that was signed off on or made official, uh, it could not be added, added to or changed because it were, were to be added to or changed after it was already ratified it would be null and void. It would be nullified. It would be obsolete. So that is true. Uh, He says this in 16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterwards, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. So now in this passage, another thing. We have the law and another thing's brought in, and that's the promise of God. And the thinking that Paul is talking about here is that people are saying, okay, well, God made a promise to Abraham, okay? He said, I'm going to make you a great nation, I'm going to bless you and all this stuff. But then, like, later, he brought the law in, and he said, hey, you have to do all these things, or else you're going to be put to death, or you're not going to measure up. So doesn't that mean that the law came in and it it totally nullified the promise? That doesn't make any sense. But what Paul is saying here is it doesn't nullify that promise because the agreement God gave to Abraham was a promise agreement. I want to talk about the difference between those two things. If you could go to the next slide. You have promise agreements and you have law agreements, okay? Uh, Now, let's talk about the law agreement first. A law agreement would be like this. If I, uh, I write a check for $100 and I show it to you and I say, hey, This $100 check is yours if you take this to-do list and you do everything on it. You can check it all off, then I'll give you the check. Okay? That's a law agreement, and that that agreement depends entirely on you. That depends entirely on the one being promised to. You're the one who has to do the to-do list. You have to fulfill fulfill your end of the bargain. The burden is on you. Okay? Uh, Then we have the promise agreement. Here's what a promise agreement looks like. I write you a $100 check, and I say, here you go. There, you know, there's a lot of things I'd really like you to do, but the check is yours regardless, okay? And the burden is now on the promiser, the person who makes the promise. So the burden is on me now, okay? Now, if, if this is confusing, we have a great picture of this a little further back, a lot further back in Scripture. Uh, in Genesis chapter 15, if you'd like to turn there, you're welcome to. Uh, this is one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. Uh, this is a chapter where we see God making an agreement with Abraham. This is what he says in in, uh, chapter 15. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 5, okay? God took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. 
But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So Abram's saying, give me some kind of proof that I'm going to receive this. The Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. This is where it starts to get a little weird. Verse 10, Abram brought all these things to him and cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. Now, to you and I, this is very strange, but to Abram, it actually makes total sense. The reason we think this is strange is because God's saying, okay, Abram, I want you to take all these animals, and I want you to chop them up into pieces, and I want you to lay them across each other so that you make a row, an aisle, in between these two lines of chopped up animals, okay? Now, again, pretty gruesome, right? Uh, This is the reason they did that. Back in those days... Uh, that was typical of a covenant between somebody uh, and a king or someone of more authority than them, okay? Uh, so Abram is, is doing this thing. He's chopping up these animals. He's laying them in a row, and he's thinking to himself, okay, I'm about to make an agreement with God, and he's about to place some sort of burden on me. Because what you would do when you lay these animals out and you're making your agreement, you would, before the king or whoever it is that's above you, uh, you would walk down that aisle in between those animals And that was to say this, if I don't uphold my end of the bargain, may I become like these. May I be ripped to shreds, okay? It's pretty symbolic. It's really pretty gross, okay? But to Abram, it makes total sense. He says, of course, this is what I'm supposed to do. I will make this with God. And man, if if I don't uphold my end, I'm in trouble. Uh, Verse 12, as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. The Lord said, know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that way they will be enslaved and mistreated there, but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Now this part's amazing. Listen here in verse 17. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, like 15 other types of ites. Okay, So God makes this covenant with Abraham, and typically uh, the lesser person is expected to walk through that row. But we see here that God himself actually moves through it and he says this, I would sooner be torn to shreds than break my promise I'm giving you. And we know that to be true because years later, Jesus would be essentially torn to shreds on our behalf because he has a promise that he intends on keeping and he does. This is powerful stuff. And so the reason Paul points to this is because he wants you to know that when God made this covenant with Abraham, it was not a law agreement. The burden was not on the person receiving the promise. God put that burden on himself. This was a promise agreement. And that's why it's not nullified by any law because it wasn't a law in the first place. It was a promise. So, you know, we ask ourselves the question, obviously, well, then why do we even have the law, right? That's kind of the question that's begged. And Paul dives right into that. So if you want to go back to Galatians 3, uh, I'm in verse 19 now. Then why the law, he says, it was added because of the transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promise of God? 
Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Okay? So, again, Paul is talking here about how the law, you know, we think the law tells us that, it, you know, we don't measure up. But really, we look at the law and what we expect it to do, and we're looking at it the wrong way. Paul is saying, look, the law isn't supposed to save you. You understand that, right? He says, if the law could give you life, then yeah, like salvation would definitely come through the law. But it can't be that because it does not give life. So what does the law do? How do the law and promise connect? You know, we think that these two things are way too at odds, and we think, okay, there's got to be one or the other. You know, we're trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. How do we make it work? Well, this is how I believe we do that. If you can go to the next slide. I believe the law is here to show us how much we need a Savior. So if you felt burdened by the law before, and you say, man, I'm reading through my Bible right now, and there's so many expectations that are to be met, and I don't know if I can meet them. I'm not just talking about, like, the Levitical law. I'm talking about you open up the book of Galatians or, or any book and you say, man, I don't always do this or that. And I feel burdened by it. Well, you're right on the money. You're right. You, you can't measure up. You cannot handle that. The law is not here to save you. The law is to point you to the person who can save you. And so this is how I would put it. By itself, the law says you can't. But the law in light of the promise says, but he can. He's the one who can take that burden? I want to tell you a story. Um, in March of 2016, I went on a trip through, through Ozark, and it was this 10-day wilderness trip, and we did a bunch of manly stuff, uh, hiking and canoeing and, you know, eating summer sausages and all this good stuff. Um, and I was, I was putting this group of people, we, we'd carry these huge backpacks, okay, uh, these huge heavy backpacks. And um, I was in a group with, like, all the Ozark athletes. I always get put in the groups with the athletes. It's probably because they, like, see my trim physique. I don't know. And they think, yeah, he, he'd fit there. I don't know. But anyways, uh, but so <laughs> it's a, me and a bunch of soccer players and a couple basketball players. So, like, I'm always the one who's at the back of the crowd when we're hiking. Like, I'm always the last one in line. And on one particular day, it's, it's late in the evening. We've been hiking all day. And I hadn't been feeling well that day. And I'm tired. I've been carrying this pack around. It's such a burden on me. It's, it's making everything else harder. We get to this really steep hill. And so our group starts to climb it. And I'm trying to get up it. And I just can't. Like, I really just can't. And I've got this huge thing weighing me down. So I just keep having to stop because I can't do it. And it's, it's frustrating. And it's embarrassing. And it's humiliating. Um, and I'm approached, I'm approached by my friend Caleb. Now, Caleb was on the soccer team. And he's also like kind of a mountain man. So this is just, this is like another day, another week in the office for him. Okay, he's doing great. And he comes over to me. He says, hey, Ian, why don't you let me carry your pack up the hill? I was like, no, hey, no, it's okay. It's my pack. I've, I've got this. You know, it's kind of embarrassing. You don't really want to hand your pack off to somebody else. And he's like, no, seriously, like you're clearly not doing well. I'm fine. I feel pretty good. Let me just take your pack up and you can just come up without your pack. It'll be easier. I was like, no, you know, like, hey, I'm a man, like, this is my problem, and and if I can't deal with it, then I've got to figure it out for myself. You know, I I can't do that. And Caleb finally does this. He turns to our guides, and he says, "Uh, hey, is there there any rule that says Ian has to be the one to carry his pack? We said, no. And he turns to me, and he says, hey, come on, man, just let me do it. And so finally, feeling incredibly humbled, I take my pack off, and I hand it to him, and he races up the hill like he does. And I'm able to make it up too. Um, and I get up there and I, I realize it's okay to ask for help. 
there is something Satan wants you to believe. And a lot of times he succeeds in this. That somewhere in that law that's constantly hanging over your head, there's something in there in fine print that says you have to carry your burden all by yourself. He wants nothing more than for you to see the law in that unhealthy light that it's always hanging over you and it's your problem and you're the one who has to deal with it. But the promise says that that's not true. The promise says that Jesus Christ wants to take that from you and he can. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast your burdens on him because he cares for you. And so today, the, the reason I feel like this text is so good for us is because I, I, I believe, myself included, there are so many people in this room right now, you have been carrying some heavy burden for a long time. And I don't know what that looks like for you. It's, it's probably different for everyone. But you've been carrying a burden for a long time. And it's weighing you down. And it's making everything else harder. Okay? And I want to ask you this. Are you willing to let that down? Are you willing to give that to Jesus? What I'd, what I'd like for you to do uh, when they come up and they play the song, I'd like you to just... Ask yourself, God, what burden have I been carrying? And how can I just give that to you? Okay, he wants to carry you. To go back to those math equations, you know, so many times we get caught up in this idea of faith plus obedience equals salvation. If I can just love God enough and if I can just obey God enough, maybe that'll punch my ticket in. But Paul's saying this, don't forget what really happens. We believe and we're saved and because of that we obey him. Because of that we live for him. Yes, you can't measure up to the law, but the promise is that God sends someone who can, and that is Jesus Christ. So as you leave here today, remember, if you've got a burden, maybe it's not yours to carry. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you so much for that truth. I thank you for Galatians. I thank you for sound teaching from your servant Paul. I'm thank, I thank you so much that our salvation isn't dependent simply on our obedience and our ability to check things off the box. Father, I thank you that you've given that to us. And because we're saved, we are called to obey. Lord, I thank you that uh, while we acknowledge the law, we live in the promise, uh, which is that you can carry the burdens that we can't. Lord, uh, let us remain in that truth and be with us as we leave here today. Father, we love you. It's in your name that I pray. Amen.